Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Michael. Good morning, everyone. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of uh, Philippians. But I'm going to start with a question. Maybe we have a pictures to go along with that. And you don't have to answer me audibly, and you don't have to raise your hand. This is all for you to consider in your own heart and mind. Uh, have you ever been in need of encouragement? Have you ever been in need of encouragement? Do you need one now? Do you know someone else who does? How would you go about it? How would you go about giving someone much-needed encouragement. If uh, any of these questions resonated this morning, uh, you're in the right place. Because uh, we will look at uh, Paul as he begins his encouragement of the Philippians. We mentioned last week as we kicked off the study with a general introduction that uh, the Philippians sent a gift to Paul. Paul was in jail in Rome, and Paul responds to the gift with an encouragement letter to the Philippians. So we take from that that the Philippians were in need of encouragement. And so Paul will begin encouraging them today. So I titled this message, Spiritual Encouragement 101. Philippians 1, I'll read uh, one section at a time as we study through it. Philippians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a fairly common opening to Paul's letters, with one exception. Uh, Paul and Timothy are the authors of this letter, and they're writing to the Philippians, believers, that's what it means when it says, all the saints in Christ Jesus. The word saints simply means holy ones and as uh, the Bible teaches, everybody, everyone who believes in Jesus becomes holy because the Lord Jesus came to save us from our sins. So by believing in him and accepting his salvation, we become holy. We, our position is holy. God accepts us fully in Christ, and he is also at work in our lives to make us more holy. And one day we will be completely holy when we no longer have this flesh and body, but a new body that the Lord Jesus has for us. So those are the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, the city of Philippi. He includes the bishops and deacons here. Bishops is the Greek word for overseer, and it's equivalent to the position of an elder, an elder, someone who has spiritual responsibility over the uh, church. And deacons, those who have perhaps the... Uh, more material responsibility to meet people's material needs. And grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, very 
standard. He reminds them of God's grace to them, the peace that God wants them to enjoy, and indeed makes it available for them through the Lord Jesus. The one exception in this passage uh, is that Paul doesn't mention the fact that he is an apostle. Almost every other letter of Paul, he starts with reminding those he's writing to that he is an apostle. Why? So that they know this letter comes with authority. Apostle, a sent one of God. He was sent by God with the message of the gospel. And so his letter to them carries authority. Not so in this letter. Now, his letter still carries authority. Paul is still an apostle, but it's just noticeable that it's not in the introduction to this letter. Why? Let me propose it to you uh, with the following picture. And that is when you uh, seek to encourage someone, uh, you're not preaching down at them, right? You're not saying, you know, I... You know, my life is all in order. I know what needs to be done, and you just need to do it, right? That would be kind of talking down at someone, as opposed to uh, coming at them with the recognition that you are no better than they are. You're just a fellow fragile human being with just the same tendencies to discouragement that they have, but you're there for them and you will encourage them as you are able. It reminds me of Galatians 6.1. We just studied that a few weeks back. There Paul says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. What Paul was pointing out to those who are spiritual or consider themselves spiritual is they are essentially no better and essentially just as vulnerable to temptations, or in this case, to discouragement. And so Paul is coming really more alongside the Philippians to encourage them, as opposed to, if you would, uh, one with authority commanding them to feel better. It doesn't work. If you come to someone who is discouraged and you say, you need to stop being discouraged right now and become encouraged, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You have to come alongside and seek to lift them up, not from above, commanding them. Okay, so that was the key, first key for spiritual encouragement is you must be humble about it. You cannot, you cannot help someone unless you're willing to humble yourself and come alongside them, recognizing that you have the same temptation, same weaknesses, same potential for discouragement. Philippians 1, 3 through 5, continuing in our passage, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Second lesson here for spiritual encouragement, be thankful. Be thankful for that person, for what God has already done uh, through them. Right? Every person has a value. Every person has things that they have done right, if they're a believer in the Lord Jesus. And, and so you could be thankful for that. Instead of starting with the negative, start with the positive. Um, Paul, in particular, recognizes 
that he has joy when he remembers the fellowship in the gospel that the Philippians had from the first day until now. There's different interpretation of what Paul means when he says fellowship in the gospel. There's at least three possibilities I can think of. And I remember Bill once says, if you know, there's more than one interpretation that works, we take all of them. So we're going to go ahead and take all three of these things that Paul might be thankful for in the Philippians. Uh, first, they, they accepted the message of the gospel. They have believed on the Lord Jesus, and as a result, they are now partakers of the blessings of the gospel. Right? And Paul is, is starting just being thankful for that, that these are people who accepted his message, they believed on the Lord Jesus, and they're now recipients of the blessings that Jesus came to give us. It could refer to their financial fellowship with the Apostle Paul. If you remember from the very first day, he witnesses to Lydia. Lydia believes, and the same day she says, well, you must come and stay with me at my house. You know, I don't want you staying at, you know, Motel 6 down by the roads. You know, my place is better and my provisions are for free. Please come stay with me. So she was already supporting Paul in his work as an apostle from day one. And as Paul was writing this letter, he just received the gift that they sent to him all the way in Rome. And we know along the way, uh, at certain intervals, they have sent to Paul, they have provided for him. So Paul is thankful for that, right? He's, he's thankful for what God has already done through the Philippians for their fellowship with him in the gospel, their financial fellowship in the gospel. Finally, Paul could be thankful for their collaborating with him in the gospel work. We will see <clears throat> when we get to the book, uh, to chapter 4, that there were people in Philippi preaching the gospel, and in fact, they were already serving with Paul when Paul was in Philippi. They were going with him already, reaching the lost with the gospel message. And they're still in that work until that day. And Paul is thankful. I'm, I praise God. You guys are faithful. You're preaching the gospel so other people can come to know the Lord Jesus. Right? So he starts with, with being thankful for them. Now, we have to remember, Paul could choose to be critical instead uh, he could have been thinking, you know, how is it that I'm the one in jail and I have to write an encouragement letter to you? You know, you guys should be sending, you know, me <laughs> an encouragement letter, but I have to encourage you. What's happening? What's going on? Get your act together. He doesn't do that. My uh, dear wife um, is not with us today. She has a pretty bad cold. So to spare the rest of you guys, she's staying at home. But uh, I think it was Monday or maybe Tuesday, you know, I came home and I asked how are things going. And I could look at her and tell things were not going well. <laughs> she did not have a good day. And, you know, she listed a number of things that went wrong, and I'm not going to get into them. But uh, she was discouraged, Right. And I could have been thinking, well, you know, I had a hard day at work too. You know, why, why is it that, that you're discouraged? Get your act together. No. <laughs> that doesn't work. You're not going to encourage anyone uh, with that kind of attitude. 
So being thankful, I had to remember, well, you know, there's all these wonderful things, you know, God is doing in her life, God has been doing through her. You know, I need to be thankful for her, even though right now she was discouraged. Uh, Paul could have complained and said, you know, I've been in jail for two years in, uh, in Palestine and almost two years now in Rome, and it took you four years to reach me with a financial gift. What's going on? You know, where are your priority? I've been needing it for a while now. No, he doesn't say that. Right? He's thankful for the fact that now, at last, their, uh, their gift to him have flourished again, we'll see in chapter 4. He's, 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 you know, does, uh, I had a picture of it. We often ask, are you, uh, you know, you look at this cup, you know, is it half full or is it half empty? <laughs> are you the person who sees the half full or the person who sees the half empty? If you're going to encourage someone, you have to start with the full part. Right? You have to recognize, well, there's things to be thankful for in this person and in their life before I focus on the negative. Okay, um, there's other things Paul could have been critical of. I'm going to skip those. But uh, just reminding us, again, we have a choice here. In Romans 1.21, this is uh, a section where God, or Paul, is uh, pointing out the sin of man against God. And he has this long list of sins. But early on, Romans 1.21, we would find this, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It, it refers to man's rejection of God, and square in the middle of that, it points out that we sinned against God by not being thankful to him. God made us. He, he gives us everything that we have, and yet we as a human race have a tendency not to be thankful to God. Uh, you come across a farmer and you ask him how things are going and he says, you know, things are not going well. Uh, you know, we haven't had rain. The crops are not growing. Uh, it's all God's fault. And you'd say, well, hmm. And ask him, well, have you thanked God for every year in which you did get rain for your crops? And you find no. You know, people are quick to point fingers at God at blaming him. They don't recognize, uh, they don't thank him for God when God gives them uh, everything we need. God provides for us faithfully, and yet we're, we tend not to be thankful. Now, I'm just using this as an example because it's really part of our sin nature. We are not thankful to God. We don't recognize the good. We're quick to find fault, and we have to turn that mentality around if we will be spiritual and courageous. We have to stop and be thankful before we seek to, in other ways, correct, other ways correct what, what is faulty. Okay, uh, next, Philippians 1, 6 through 8. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it, until the day of Jesus Christ, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace, 
For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. So the second or third key in, uh, in spiritual encouragement is to recognize that that person is God's project. The person you're working with is God's project. Paul is reminding that to the Philippians here in verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God was at work in the lives of the Philippians. Paul has seen that work. He was there from day one. In fact, he was the means of God's work. He came to them and preached the gospel, shared the gospel. He saw the Holy Spirit working in Lydia's heart, in the hearts of other people, and them coming to know the Lord. So he, he knows that God is at work uh, in their lives, and now he is assuring them that God will also finish that work. Romans 8 tells us, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. This verse verses describe to us God's work in the lives of believers. Uh, it reminds us of the fact that God is working all things together for our good. And uh, it, it puts that in the framework of God's work, the fact that God predestined us, God called us to himself, God justified us, and God will glorify us, meaning give us a new glorious body in heaven. And in the meantime, he is working all things together for good to conform us to make us like the Lord Jesus. That's what God is doing presently in our lives today. Now, it's uh, easy for us to look at, uh, at something that's not quite complete and, and be discouraged and thinking, well, what's happening in my life? I, I don't see things uh, coming together. Uh, but it helps us when we remember who is the one uh, that is at work. My children like to play with Legos. Uh, so I typed in to help me find the right illustration for today. What's the biggest Lego set ever made? So they like, they like buying sets. When I was a kid, we didn't get sets. You just got a box with lots of Legos, and you had to put together whatever you could think of. Today, it's different. You actually buy a set. So all the pieces are designed to come together in a particular way to make something that's attractive. Uh, in this case, it's a, a model of the Taj Mahal. It has 6,000 pieces. And before you're asking me whether I can get it for you, Nessia, no, it costs $400. So not planning to get it. But, uh, you know, you, you know when, when we think about man's work, 
we sometimes wonder whether it will ever be uh, completed. Why? Why might you not complete the set that you're building this year? Okay, you lost a piece, okay? So all of a sudden, you don't have everything you need to actually complete it, right? Oh, you know, heaven forbid it's missing a piece when it comes, right? You didn't even lose it, but you can't do it because not all the pieces are there, okay? Why else? Any other reasons you might not finish it? Okay, lose the instructions. Okay, I have all the pieces, but uh, I, don't, I don't know how they all go together. That's good. I'm sorry? Yeah, get this code. It's just too much, right? You know, I've spent days on this thing, and, and it's just, you know, too much work. So, you know, with all of that, I want to think about, does this apply to God's work in our lives? God is, is making a glorious thing. You can go to the next picture. It just looks a little bit nicer there. Uh, God is, is uh, going to uh, make us glorious, right? He, he saved us. We're positionally perfect in Christ. He is at work in our lives today to make us more like Christ. But one day he will finish the job and we will be perfect, right? That's what the word complete. He will complete the work that he uh, is starting in us. Could, could that happen to God? Could he lose a piece? or find there was a piece missing. He just didn't have enough to finish the job with me. Is that, is that possible? No, right? The God who, who knows the end from the beginning has uh, carefully considered what my salvation required, and he provided everything that was necessary for my salvation. There is not a piece missing. Uh, could God lose the instructions of how to put it all together? No, God is the one who wrote the instructions, right? He knows how to put the whole thing together. He knows how to put me together, right, to make me like his son. Uh, would God get discouraged? Would he give up and say, no, I did just too much work? I thought, I thought I could work with him, but the guy is just uh, very difficult to conform and to form into the image of my son. No, God doesn't get discouraged. And so Paul could say like that, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we, when we encourage someone, we want uh, to recognize they are God's project. We want them to recognize they are God's project. And God will complete what he began in them. Now Paul has some particular reasons to be uh, convinced or encouraged that this was the case with the Philippians, and he decides to share it with them, reasons of why he knows that God, uh, who has began a good work in them, will complete it, the fact that they really are the Lord's. And uh, he mentions two reasons in this passage. Uh, he, first of all, he says, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. He, 
speaks here of the love he has for the Philippians and the confidence that is giving him that they are indeed in God's family. Why does his affection for them shows Paul that they really are in God's family? Uh, well, first of all, uh, the Lord Jesus prayed for that. In John 17, we just started that in our Thursday study in the Gospel of John. Paul says in verse uh, 20, I do not pray for these alone, meaning the disciples that were with him at the time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that's us. We believe in the Lord Jesus through the testimony of the apostles. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. The Lord Jesus here is praying for the love between believers. He wants those who believe in him to be united in love. If the Lord Jesus asked God the Father for that in prayer, do you think God will answer that prayer? Yeah, yeah. And therefore, when a person gets saved, he automatically has a love for other believers in the Lord Jesus. And other believers in the Lord Jesus automatically have love for him. It's this miracle of love that God does in a regular family too. When you had a child, did you have uh, an instantaneous, uh, miraculous love for that child? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. God gave it to you in a similar way. When you become part of God's family, there is this automatic, miraculous love that God generates uh, between that person and other believers. So that in 1 John, same author, different letter, he says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Right? So strong is that testimony that he later says, I didn't include that in this verse, that if you don't love your brother, you're still dead in your sins. There's a serious problem. So Paul can say with certainty toward the Philippians, you know, it's right for me to think this of you because I have you in my heart. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. They are his spiritual children. He knows God is real in their lives. And so he has absolute confidence for their final victory in Christ, and so he encourages them in that. Now, he does include in the midst of it their activity in the gospel. He says, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers with me of grace. So he has additional confidence, them being in the family of God, because they're part of the family business. What's God's family business? It's saving people. Right? He came, he sent his son to save us from our sins. And every believer in the Lord Jesus joins in that same business. We're now involved in saving of souls. We share the gospel with people. That's what the Philippians were doing. As a result, they also suffered persecution. We'll see that more clearly later. So Paul can say, both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me 
of grace. So Paul knew they were in God's family, they had the family love, and they were in the family business, and therefore he was absolutely confident that he who began a good work in them will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, final lesson in spiritual encouragement. In this section, when this is not exhaustive, of course, uh, but as far as what we can glean here, Philippians 1, 9 through 11, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, final lesson in spiritual encouragement. Seek God's intervention. Seek God's intervention. I was, uh, my son, let's start with my son. Um, my son is working on a science project. It uh, wasn't exactly his choice, but uh, his school has this science project competition, I think every other year, and uh, my wife uh, will say to him, you will do a science project. And so we will find a science project that he can get involved in. And this particular science project is trying to grow potatoes and onions using different scientific methods. And uh, in this particular one, uh, he has to put uh, toothpicks into a potato. And then the toothpicks will hold the potato in a glass of water. If you come to my house, you will see, sitting by the window. And uh, hopefully, a plant will shoot up, and we will learn something about the growth of potatoes. Uh, but if you look closely, you will see that I am helping Ben insert the uh, toothpick into the potato. Potatoes are somewhat hard before you cook them. If you cook them, they're not going to grow. So uh, he needed my hand on his hand and the Q-tip, inserting the Q-tip in. Why? Because my son, for all his great qualities, just doesn't have the strength to put a toothpick into a raw potato. Why am I telling you that? Well, we don't have the power to encourage someone spiritually. Who does? Who has the power? God, right. And so, really, the fourth lesson is to seek God's intervention in, uh, in their discouragement, and that's why Paul says, and this I pray, right? This I pray. He's praying for the spiritual encouragement. And uh, his prayer breaks into uh, four areas. So we'll close with that as we think about different areas uh, in which the Philippians needed prayer, needed God's intervention. Uh, the first one is love, right? He prays that the love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all 
discernment. A few weeks ago, we had a, a Valentine's tea. Is that what we call it? Was it still a Valentine's tea, or we had an, another name for it? Fondue. Valentine's fondue. Thank you for the correction. Uh, and uh, we had questions. The ladies prepared some questions for people to ask in table to stimulate conversation. And uh, I think there were a number of different questions that could be asked. One of them was, uh, I think, what is love, or how would you define love? Is that correct? Anybody remembers that one? Uh, anyways, in my wife's table, there was a, a girl, uh, 12 years old, so technically not a teenager yet. And uh, if I remember correctly what my wife told me, she said, love is getting everything I want. Love is getting everything I want. So there's a couple of problems I see with that definition. Uh, to start with, uh, love is not about what you get. Love is about what you give. Now, you could say if you're the recipient of love, you will get something, right? But uh, ideally, we don't limit love to other people loving us. Ideally, we think about the fact we should love others as well, okay? Uh, second, well, you know, if I love a child, will I give the child everything they want? If uh, my son wants a cookie, should I give him a cookie? Right? Sure, I'll give him a cookie. What if he wants another one and another one? And at some point, I have to realize, you know, this is not going to be good for him. He'll get sick or he'll get fat. Oh, he will have, you know, he'll grow up and, uh, you know, have other uh, health issues as a result. And so sometime in love, we don't give people what they want. We give people what's actually best for them. But so Paul prays that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That's where the knowledge and discernment come. He wants them to love each other, right? And that's critical for us uh, as a church. Uh, church will have encouraged people when the members of the church love each other, not when each one goes in and says, you know, I wonder what people will give me today, right? That's looking for others to love you instead of looking to love others. Okay, uh, second item he's praying for them. Uh, that you may approve the things that are excellent. Uh, it is possible sometimes that we have the wrong priority. We think, this is what I really need. Uh, one of the things that um, my wife was discouraged about, I think I said I wasn't going to share any details, so now I'm you know, being found not a man of my word, was that uh, my son didn't make it into the school's soccer team. Well, yeah, that was sad. We wanted him to make it into the school soccer team. But it's possible that that wasn't really, really the best thing for him. Uh, the soccer team would have been composed of fourth, fifth, and sixth grader. My son is a fourth grader, and not a particularly large fourth grader. He could have probably suffered injury <laughs> you know, playing against other schools with fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. So sometimes what we uh, approve isn't really the very best thing. So it's good 
to uh, be informed by God and have uh, a right priority of what's important, then we're less likely to become discouraged, right? You could say, well, my son is healthy, uh, he's happy, uh, he has parents that love him, he's being instructed in the things of God. There's a lot of good things we, we could be rejoicing in. Um, and so approving the things that are excellent is, uh, is also key for spiritual encouragement. Okay? Uh, third, he's praying that they will be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. God wants us to be genuine with him. Uh, we uh, could fall prey to the leaven of the Pharisees that Jesus warned his disciples against. And what was the leaven of the Pharisees? Uh, it was hypocrisy. The Pharisees were very concerned with what people thought about their spirituality. And so they went around uh, uh, tithing uh, every tenth leaf in the bush, uh, making long prayers uh, for pretense, uh, fasting with uh, long faces. They wanted people to think of them as spiritual people, but God took no pleasure in that relationship. God wants a genuine relationship uh, with us. And so Paul prayed that they will be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Now, without offense doesn't mean that we're never going to sin. That is simply not true. We will all stumble in sin. But we could live without offense in the sense that whenever we sin against the Lord, we confess our sins. And he tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can once again walk without offense with him. And that's a, a, a life of fellowship with God. That's the purpose of our Christian life, is to enjoy a genuine relationship, genuine fellowship with God. And that's uh, really, in my opinion, the victorious Christian life, or being spiritually encouraged, is simply walking with God. And so Paul prays that for the Philippians. And then finally he prays that they will be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are in Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. The fruits of righteousness could be uh, referring to the fruits of the Spirit, which is things like uh, joy, peace, love, kindness, patience, long-sufferings, really the attributes of the Lord Jesus. Remember, we talked about the fact that Jesus is in our lives conforming us to himself, making us more like him. And nothing is more encouraging when we find victory in these areas of our lives, when we find that we really did grow in patience or kindness or long-sufferings. We see evidence of the life of God in us, the fruits of righteousness. And so Paul prays for that spiritual victory in the lives of the believers to the glory and praise of God. So that brings us to the end of our passage. Uh, last question is, how will you apply 
the lesson to yourself. How will you apply this lesson to yourself? Maybe you were encouraged or feel you could receive spiritual encouragement as you look at Paul's encouragement of the Philippians. Or maybe, maybe you have someone else in mind and saying, can I be an encouragement to my brother or sister in Christ? What did we learn from this study about the keys to being a spiritual encourager? And this, by the way, is such an important uh, ministry in the church of God, to be a spiritual encourager, to be able to encourage other people who are spiritually discouraged. What were the keys we saw? First, humility, right? You can't think yourself above spiritual discouragement. You can't think yourself better of the person you're trying to encourage. You have to come alongside them, not from above. Second, we found you have to be thankful. Recognize God's work in their lives. And uh, think of the good things that God has accomplished in them and share with them. Paul wasn't ashamed, embarrassed, or thought it inappropriate to tell the Philippians what he was thankful for in their lives. He shared with them. And uh, I think few things encourage us more than when people are giving thanks for us. Uh, third, recognize that it is God working in their lives and uh, point that out to them. That's what Paul did in the case of the Philippians. They were discouraged. Perhaps they felt that uh, their Lego project wasn't coming together and uh, they would never become the, uh, uh, the man or woman that God wanted them to be. And yet Paul could recognize, no, no, God began a good work in you, and he will also complete it. He will also complete it. And then fourth, uh, seek God's intervention. Uh, James 5.16 tells us, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. God is listening. God has the power and strength to help our discouraged brother or sister seek his intervention in their situation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you <coughs> for your love for us. We thank you that uh, you desire us to be encouraged. You desire us to live the victorious Christian life. You desire us to have fellowship and joy with you and with one another. We thank you for the love you've planted in each of our hearts, a love for you and a love for each other. And we pray that you, we might see you working in our midst and bringing about much spiritual encouragement, especially for those we are discouraged right now and in need. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.